Good morning and welcome to the Monday Call brought to you by NZ Funds. I'm Stefan Clark, Chief Client Officer, and I'm joined by Chris Wosley, Commercial Director at the firm. Kieran Reid is more than a rugby player. He's a strategic thinker who overcame many obstacles to achieve a remarkable goal, twice. Kieran won back-to-back -back Rugby World Cups and captain the All Blacks to 19 consecutive test wins, a world record. The mindset and personal attributes that Karen developed are very similar to those needed by investors to achieve a fully funded retirement. Today we'll be speaking with Karen about the valuable lessons and the leadership skills he learned as captain and the importance of goal setting and the team support in achieving long-term objectives. We've recently been on a roadshow with Karen, visiting centres across New Zealand that, in which NZ Funds has offices. And um, Karen, it's really great to see you again. Hasn't yeah, good long. morning, guys. It's awesome to be here. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty Welcome. intense couple of weeks, wasn't it? Brilliant. It was indeed. It was indeed. <laughs> okay, hey, we're going to kick off. Um, Chris is going to start start the show. Um, introduction aside, and then we'll launch into it. Right. Welcome, Karen. Uh, as we said on the uh, the road show, we've done our homework. We've read the famous book. We've done our YouTube with our googling, and found the perfect introduction for you. It was. It was written by Scotty Stevenson, who's the same person who wrote your book with you. And uh, I, I thought it was ideal. It was an interview, obviously, he had with you. And this is how he introduced you uh, to, to, the, uh, to the interview. I'll read it out. He said, he's still physically imposing, but the playing bulk is gone now. His lean face is mostly a smile. His curly hair is clipped short, exaggerating ears scarred by seasons spent between the thighs of large men. Put it this way, he won't be getting AirPods for Christmas. He played at three World Cups and won two of them. What did he learn? So let's find out. But before we do, let's just start with the elephant in the room, Kieran. Um, when I was first asked if I would uh, look at doing this roadshow with you, the All Blacks had just lost to South Africa and a record score as a warm-up game to the World Cup. We then proceeded to lose to France in the first round of the World Cup. So I thought, well, this is an easy start. So I wrote down what went wrong. But then, of course, we turned things around. And after we beat Ireland and then we got through to the final, I thought I'll be brave here and I'll write down instead what went right. As it turned out, we fell a bit short. So instead of saying what went wrong, Kieran, I'll ask you what nearly went right. How did you see it? Yeah, I think we we did a lot right in, in that World Cup campaign. I think if you look at it, there wasn't too many probably New Zealanders who thought we we would have made the final, let alone get a chance to win it. And um, so yeah, uh, plenty right. Um, most definitely, I think the coaching group did a fantastic job, um, and the players really stepped up. I think throughout the tournament, you know, probably the frustrating thing from um, the players' point of view and the coaches will be that. It got to that final game and we probably didn't put out our best performance right and so had the opportunity in the final to um, get over the line and, and didn't quite make it but um, unfortunately that's sport and I've been in that position um, before as well um, and you know you you got to turn up on the day and perform and it doesn't always happen you put all the effort in to try and make it um, so it was that was awesome to see you know put under so much pressure in that final and, and the effort and character that the guy showed was huge. So um, a lot to be proud of, um, but certainly probably some, you know, some motives and, and frustration from the players, I'm sure, for the for the foreseeable future. 
Yep. I, it was it was from a from a New Zealand supporter perspective highly frustrating that despite <laughs> the fact that the, the TMO call seemed to go against us, we still had the opportunity <laughs> to actually win the game. Yeah, we won't go there, will we? We'll be so, we'll be spend the whole podcast on the TMO if we go there. Chris, it was a very common question <laughs> on our roadshow, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah. Um, just so you know, Karen, like actually similar to the roadshow, um, people who are likely to be listening to the call that you're on now, we've got our professional partners. So they are lawyers, um, accountants, mortgage advisors, insurance advisors, and financial planners. Um, we also have clients of NZ Funds and um, NZ Funds Private Wealth who'll be tuning in and and others. So um, you know, through this call, what we're going to try and do is build a bridge. Uh, between the rugby world, business, and investments. So, um, uh, obviously, there's a lot of parallels there. And we'll, um, we'll, but we'll, what we'll do is we'll kick off with goals and goal setting. And um, because, I guess, every b- good business should have goals that they're, they're aspiring to. And um, when, when we meet new clients for the first time, um, our first question is to ask them about what their goals are, not just for the money that they might want to invest, but for their future lifestyle. How can, how can we recommend an investment strategy um, if we don't know what it is that the clients ultimately want to achieve in their lives? So having goals is essential when it comes to investing. Unfortunately, too many people just invest and, um, and see where they end up. I read, or rather actually Chris in this particular case, read that um, Barbara Kendall uh, was who got you thinking about goals. And obviously she's a very prominent individual. Tell us about that. Tell us about your experience with Barbara Kendall, about your goal of becoming an All Black, and um, and how that evolved through time. Yeah, look, I went to a um, a non-sporting school, I guess you could call it, in Counties Manukau, uh, Tapakura, it was Roseville College, um, and it was a pretty big school. It was two thousand kids, co-ed school, uh, high school, um, and. As I said, there wasn't too much sport that was focused on in the school. Like we scraped together our first 15 rugby team. Um, you know, we had a few other individual um, sport stars, I guess, or, or people of promise, a trampolinist, I remember, I think maybe a hockey player, a basketballer, um, you know, just a few individual people who, who um, excelled in their sports um, but didn't really have too much um, in terms of our teams and, and what was happening at the school. So, um, you know, I can probably... One, one PE teacher at the school, James Fraser was his name. He had a massive impact on my life, um, let alone my rugby career and, and getting it started. He kind of said um, to the school, can we set up a, an elite sports program? So he plucked all our, us together, probably half a dozen to 10 of us, um, who would meet maybe once a month um, together. Um, and he got in different speakers to come and talk to us about, say, nutrition or um, conditioning, uh, what it takes to to be um, you know an athlete in the world now. So I uh, had some awesome awesome opportunities there, um, which we wouldn't normally get. Uh, and one of those speakers was Barbara Kendall, and yeah, she came in talked to us about goal setting, and um, essentially, you know, Barbara Kendall's a you know a Olympic champion, um, New Zealander, which is amazing in board sailing. And so she she said to us, write down your goals, what do you want to achieve in sport? And so I was playing rugby and it was kind of a case of, well, you know, what's the biggest goal I can write, which was um, to be an All Black, but to be a great All Black, I, I wrote down on a piece of paper and then we, we set it out to our um, the rest of the, the guys in the group. Um, and I think Bar- Barbara was like, oh, it would be awesome just to be an All Black, wouldn't it? 
Um, and I was like, yeah, well, if I'm going to be there, let's push the boundaries, right? And um, and she got that because she didn't just turn up to the Olympics, did she? She she was there to to go and win the thing, right? Be the best in the world. So um, yeah, it kind of set me on the stage in terms of goals. It's and that wasn't really a goal. That's a dream, right? That's an aspiration for me, but. Um, you get there through ticking off a few different things along the way. Um, and certainly it probably just gave me a little insight into into how I can do that. Um, and I, I was never a big one for having a five-year plan or whatever it was in the future too much, but I knew I had the specific, um, you know, real clear goals for the for the finite little future for me that, that really helped me improve and um, I think that time at school at Roseville College really helped me and, and kind of, you know, really probably set that dream alive. It's interesting to see that you wrote in your book that you actually don't write goals down, but you're very strong on visualisation. So how has that helped you? Yeah, it's it's true. It's like, um, yeah, for me, coming from Roseville, I, I didn't know about these teams I could make, really. Um, you know, I was just playing the game because I loved it for a long time. And then I made a couple of... Um, teams, counties, into northern regions, into New Zealand secondary schools in my last year at school. Um, and so, yeah, I think for, for myself, it was an aspiration to try and be better every day. Um, and I knew if I worked really hard and did that, then certainly I could tick off a, a few things along the way. But I didn't necessarily write down that goal of making this team or, or that team. Um, but the, I guess the visualisation part of that um, for me helped um, – was that you could kind of, yeah, really see a, a clear picture of what you wanted to achieve. Um, and so I would, I would look at um, how I could play and performances and, and how I'd play on the weekend. And essentially that's setting myself up um, and to achieve those you know, certain goals or those performances that I wanted to, to put out there. And used that early on in terms of making teams. And then later on it was a case of, um, you know, wanting to play well on the field. And physically, maybe you can't do it all day at training, right? You can't be smashing your body uh, every day. Um, so the work you do off the field and, and setting your mind up to perform um, became really crucial. Great. So, Kieran, now you've set your goals. The next step is to put in place the building blocks to actually achieve those goals. And the first one that Stefan and I thought was important was determination. There's no point having goals if you're not really determined to achieve them. And it seems from reading your book that you've got determination in absolute spades. And a lot of that, you may claim a lot of that's attributed to, to your genes. But from reading the book, it seems to me that your older brother, Gareth, can take a lot of credit for helping you build up your determination. I'm going to just read a quote from the book because I think it's, it's priceless. It says, older brother Gareth was constantly engaged in the kind of fraternal benchmarking that invariably ended in arguments property damage, or tears, and on many occasions, all three. Gareth reveled in his role of tormentor-in-chief, running the spectrum from simmering older sibling to short-fused psychopath. In turn, I threw myself into my one key brotherly function, to move him from the former end to the latter in the quickest possible time. It was the easiest job of my life. So tell us about those formative years back in Papakura that helped you to develop that really strong will to win? Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, had an awesome childhood. Uh, I was only under two years uh, below my older brother, Gareth. I had a younger brother, Mark, as well, who's a bit younger than us. Um, 
So look, it was a typical Kiwi tauratua. It felt back then. We lived on a cul-de-sac in Papakura. It was it was spent outside. You know, you'd come home from school, mum would kick you out out of the house, and you'd you'd kick a ball around uh, until dinner time, basically, or until it got dark. So, um, you know, for me being the younger brother, I wanted to always compete against the older bro. I wanted to play in his games that he was doing. Um, you know, he didn't always appreciate too much of that. I don't think for a while. Um, and essentially, yeah, as as it's said, um, there's a, um, you know, certainly times where if he got hold of me, he'd, he'd certainly let me know and no uncertain terms, <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of keeping me on my, on my toes. So, um, look, it was a, a case, I think, seeing my older brother doing, doing things out in, either at home with his mates or on the sporting field um, that I wanted to try and achieve those things right then, right? I didn't want to wait another two years to be doing it. So, he signed up for rugby at six, um, and so I made mum and dad sign me up when I was four, you know, so um, I played in a few of his teams growing up too, you know, when he was short, you know, if I was one player short, he'd, he'd, they'd call me in and I could um, fill in for his teams he played in um, for different sports. So, look, it just was something I really wanted to test myself, and, and that probably that determination comes from that competitiveness. Um and he wouldn't necessarily always want me to be competing with him. Um, so, yeah, sitting in the backyard, there was plenty of tears when, when uh, he'd get hold of me and beat me up a little bit. Um, but, you know, I always reveled that kind of competitiveness and, and I had the drive to really want to, you know, do my best every time. So, um, you know, he certainly has some aspects. I, I guess it's one piece of the puzzle uh, in terms of creating that real drive and, internal uh, determination within me. Well, the other interesting thing is you, you played at number eight, of course, and so you would have come up against some of the biggest boys on a rugby field. Um, and I assume from those years, playing against or with some of his mates who are a lot bigger than you would have helped you develop the, the, the fortitude that you needed to play against the bigger players. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, yeah, I guess playing against older um, kids at you know certain age helps you in some ways. It, it, you know you got to be make sure that you can handle that stuff, and um, I, I think it, it does help you playing. You know, for me in my rugby, I love tackling. You know, I, I was I wasn't the biggest guy; I was the skinny white guy living in South Auckland. But always prided myself on trying to take down the biggest guy in the opposition. Um, so really enjoyed the physicality part of it. Not that I was very physical. Um, Outside of the outside of rugby, really, but um, you know the other thing was I played cricket, senior cricket at fourteen, so I was playing against men, I guess, at that age, and that's probably more psychological than physical, but you know it helps prepare you, um, you know, for what's potentially coming. Um, so yeah, a little, all those things kind of add up, and you don't know at the time that um, the cool thing was actually at the end, you know, for how much uh, G kind of really pushed me, and I pushed him a lot over the age went by the time I made first 15 at Rosehall in fifth form in year 11 uh, he was his last year at school and he was captain of the first 15 and he captained me um, so that was pretty cool and he kind of realized oh, that I was pretty good and um, I, he, I was useful to him so yeah he took me under his wing which was which is great I've got two young boys um, and uh, um, their relationship sounds very similar to yours with with Gareth, uh, but hopefully it moves to a place um, as yours did in time. 
and um, oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I read um, that you've chucked your support behind Voices for Hope for the Voices for Hope campaign, which uh, aims to shine the spotlight on mental health in the world of sport. And um, their, you know, their aim is to highlight, you know, the importance of seeking support and reminding everyone that it's not too late to rewrite your story. You were, you were interviewed by One News, and you made reference to something called imposter syndrome. That's a, quite a common term now. Maybe then it wasn't. But um, what is this, and how, um, how did you turn it into something positive uh, during your career in sport? Yeah, awesome. Uh, like Voices of Hope are great. They, you know, that's about giving in, anyone a, a, you know, a bit of hope, really. Everyone's story is different. Everyone goes through down times. Uh, at certain stages, um, you know, but be prepared to voice it and 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 seek help if you, if you need to. So easy to, to get behind that campaign from my point of view. Uh, and imposter syndrome, I guess it's something that literally everyone will face at some point in their lives, right? Um, you know, it's going to high school for the first time and thinking, oh, shit, is this where I belong? Or, you know, making a team, making the All Blacks for the first time, right? Um, you're a young player. Um, do I truly belong here? Um, so that's basically what it is, you know, um, going into a new job, a new role, not knowing exactly what you're doing and thinking, oh, do I belong in this in this role and, and can I do it justice? So essentially that's what it is. I think we all face it. Um, if we let it really um, and hinder us, then it, it, it can kind of keep us down and, and not let us shine. But I guess we use it in the right way and I think that's what I did um, across my career. I kind of always felt I was that kid from... Roseville College from counties who, you know, wasn't in the big schools. I didn't grow up in the academies and things um, and camps that the guys were going to. So I always felt like when I started making a few teams, not a real imposter, but I just felt like I maybe had to really prove myself. Um, and so that whole kind of feeling of did I belong um, really motivated me to work really hard, um, you know, to drive, put everything I could to try and make sure that if I got, it, got an opportunity, I could... I could nail it, so um, certainly I carried that with me through the teams uh, I made throughout my career. It's interesting, Kieran, when we went on the road show and you talked about imposter syndrome, I, I said afterwards, that's something we can all relate to. It's amazing how many heads nodded in the audience in each of the centres that we're at, so it, it very much is something. And I think the, the big message that we take from what you've just said is use it to your advantage. So um, well done yep. there. Um, so another building block is um, basically overcoming setbacks. And you've had many setbacks through your rugby career. You've either broken or damaged uh, toes, ankles, thumbs, wrists, your back. Um, and that's even, you, you've even had concussion concerns. And of course, these are physical setbacks. They then lead on to mental setbacks. Um, so what's, what skills have you learned over the years from your rugby career and how to overcome these setbacks. Yeah, like I guess when you look at it in that way, there's been quite a few injuries and, and things that tested you um, throughout your career. I guess when you and if you're playing, you know your your job is to go out and, and be able to perform and and be out there on the field. And and when you can't do that, it, it can be a testing time. And physically. I never had a problem too much, but yeah, it's definitely the mental challenge um, when you get put in these situations that is a tough thing. Um, you know, I did my ACL at 18, right? So I was out of the game 
oh, you know, cool. I wasn't playing any. I was just playing club rugby and things like that. Um, but out of the game for 12 months. And, you know, as a young player, you think, man, if I've, I can't play for 12 months, that's my career done. And so you go through a bit of, you know, tough times. And I didn't know how you got out of it then. Um, time always heals. And, and having some patience helps. Leaning on the professional um, people in whatever field you're in. So in terms of injuries, it was doctors and physios um, getting a real clear plan in place, structure um, helped. Um, but in the wider sense, I think in terms of an individual, I learned across my career that um, if we can create our, um, present ourselves in um, certain ways, um, before we hit adversity, before we hit a setback, then we're going to bounce out of it quickly. So it's really our resilience piece. Um, so Wayne Smith was pretty key on this and a few other coaches. Um, so I'd call it my three things, and it's uh, a growth mindset, being really optimistic, and having you know a huge amount of gratitude. So growth mindset really is um, you know, really a mindset of I can get better. If I make a mistake today, I work on it, and tomorrow I turn up and I'll be able to do a better job. You know, it's it's not wallowing in that. It's not saying this is oh, this is who I am. Um, you know, I'm going to be judged on this thing here. No, I can I can improve and, and keep improving. Um, optimism. So that's learning optimism. I think it's um, you know a lot of people think we're one way or the other, glass half empty, glass half full. But um, you know, we can actually reframe and, and retrain our mind to to look at things in uh, just a more positive light. And it's not just being positive, you know, the the happy, clappy, positive all the time. It is genuinely looking at, you know, thoughts come into your head. Um, oh, you know, what if I stuff up this meeting or whatever it is? But then you just got to find it. And that's, that's natural. It's all good um, for those thoughts to come in. But let's reframe that into, you know, what will happen when I nail this meeting? You know, that, that type of thing, um, you know, is, is around the optimism and around being gra- grateful, um, you know, you know, it's a, it's a key word nowadays, um, but essentially it's putting perspective on your life, right? You know, um, for us it could be, um, you know, grateful just to turn up at work and I've got my best mates there. I can have a laugh with them or, you know, it's as simple as waking up in the morning and uh, seeing the sun come up, right? Um, so being grateful for those things puts things in perspective and, and, real, and you realise that, hey, this little thing I'm going through maybe... I can work my way through it a bit easier um, and she won't wallow so long. So, yeah, that's probably the, when I look at setbacks, resilience, it's that um, yeah, growth mindset, optimism, and being really grateful, I think really helps. So the acronym using an old-fashioned term is GROG. Growth, yeah, optimism, grog. That's and gratitude. The that's the one. Yep. So if we use an investment analogy, Karen, as a former advisor, I used to always say investing is like climbing a mountain. You, you never go straight up a mountain. In fact, I've never seen a mountain that goes straight up. You have dips, you have gullies, you have plateaus, you even have crevasses. But if you are investing for the long term, you just have to keep going. You have to ride through those down periods and eventually you'll get to the top. And there are times when investment markets will be down more than what people might be comfortable with or for longer than what people are comfortable with but at the end of the day if you stick with it stay the course you'll eventually achieve your goal and I I, I remember um, reading in your book you said I have been to the top of the mountain and I will climb out of this valley I refuse to live down here 
So how did you do that? How did you continue to focus on that long-term goal and stay the course no matter what? Yeah, I think it's a bit of um, what we talked about earlier around that whole drive and, and motivation and what you have, um, you know, but also, you know, for me it was, you know, I had a couple of things that really drove me to, to be better, right? Um, and it's your why and, and why you turn up and why you get out of bed to try and do what you do. So for me, it was my family was was, was key. Um, you know, I wanted to, you know, really show them that I could, could work really hard um, and do something really positive for them. Um, but then also I had this, um, I had a real internal drive to get better. Um, and so that drove me, it motivated myself um, to get up and, and do the work. Um, and so it didn't really matter if, um, you know, things didn't go away, a loss or um, whatever it was. Um, I think it's the way you bounce back is a, is a crucial thing. And if you've got this thing really guiding me, which, which I had, um, then it was easy on those tough times to get out of bed and, and do that extra session, do the extra rep or whatever was needed to, to get myself ready for the game. Um, and I guess that's an individual thing within a team as well, in a business, whatever it is, leaders group. Um, you know, you need to find some connection as well that will help you. Um, and so teams I was involved in all the time was, you know, was how can we find that connection piece? What can bring us together? Um, you know, was it a vision um, of our group? Was it a theme? Um, you know, how do we how do we ensure that we're totally connected, all, all on the same page, going in the same direction? Um, and so did that through certain things, but I, I think... Um, for us, it was around connecting to who we were as people, so our values and our, our past, our history, and then also looking at where we wanted to go, so um, kind of our future, our vision, you know, what it would look like uh, there. So um, that's how that's how we kept, kept ourselves moving forward. You, you, you mentioned family. Um, the, la the last building block for achieving goals that um, we wanted to cover off was the support team that's around you. And um, at NZ Funds, we, we pride ourselves on having a world-class team. And at last count, there was 13 departments all focused on helping um, our clients. You've had the good fortune of also being a member of a number of fantastic teams, starting with what, what, what we'll call Team Reed, being the Reed family, um, who you mentioned. You've got your mother, your father, um, your older brother, G, or Gareth, um, younger brother, Mark, and secondly, your lovely wife, Bridget, and three young children. Um, actually, why we're here, um, is, it, is it true that one of your daughters is named after your favourite rugby ground? Um, potentially, although my wife will say it's not because she doesn't, never wants to give me that amount of credit. But one of my, my favourite ground is Eden Park, um, and my daughter's named Eden. So, yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Depends who we're talking to. Well, it's good it's not Twickenham or Cacton or something like that. Um, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, then you were then a member of Canterbury and the Crusaders teams and, of course, the ABs. Um, tell us how those teams shaped um, you into being the person you are today and kept you on track. And I guess the key part of it is the people around you. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. I, I think the teamness of of sport, um, you know, there's, there's so many good things that come out of sport in that sense, um, you know, understanding how you work as a team, the roles that are needed, 
um, you know, that are different, but are so required for an end goal to be achieved. Um, and it translates right into any anything really um, around business in the business world. Um, so look, I kind of look back at um, me being a, a young guy. I was 19. I was invited to go down to Christchurch um, into the academy, um, Canterbury Academy. And so the academy at that point shared a um, shared the gym with the Crusaders, right? So um, you know we both work out in the same gym and. So my first session, um, I walk in and I'm doing my workout and walking through the gym, there goes Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, Ruben Thorne, um, Justin Marshall, all these legends of the game, All Blacks, Crusaders. And like, I've never seen that thing before. Right? And we're, so ethos of team is it doesn't matter if you're the top star in, in the group or this young guy who isn't even nowhere near even the team right now. Um, you're, you're connected in a really special way. And so the team first mentality came, came out really strongly for me um, early on. Um, you know, and, and the key with that is that the senior guys, the, the older guys who have experience, have gone through ups and downs. It's their job to, to help the new guys come through and, and be better versions of what they were. Um, and so, you know, I was, had some awesome support from uh, I was loose forwards, so most of the loose forwards and, and Crusaders, so Mossy Tuali'i, Richie, uh, Johnny, uh, uh, those those blokes who would help me. And then, um, you know, it's a cyclical thing where, you know, by the time I get a bit more experience, then I'm helping out the next generation. And our legacy, we talked about the legacy not being, you know, what you did in the jersey, but, you know, it's what the next generation's doing um, in that jersey. You know, if you've done your job right, um, then the group that takes over from you um, should be performing really well. So, our team, yeah, the creating teams and how you do that is is a special part of um, you know what I've learnt over over my career. So, a, a key component of team support, Kieran, is leadership. So, let's just talk about leadership for a wee while here. Um, if we go way back to high school days, that's when you first met your wife, Bridget. And I read that she said at the time when she first met you, you were horrendously shy. Those were her words, horrendously shy. And you also said in your book, there you seem to have a recollection of spending a lot of your time in tears in your childhood days. So how did how did a young, skinny boy from Papakura, who was horrendously shy, prone to tears, transition into being one of the greatest leaders world rugby has ever seen? How did you manage to do that? Um. Yeah, look, look, I don't, I don't know, and I, I don't think it, you know, I, as you said, I, I don't think I ever thought I'd be in any position of leadership or um, be able to get up in front of people and, and speak and do that as a captain of a sports team, let alone what I do now in my um, business in terms of getting in front of people as well and public speaking and delivering keynotes and, and all that. So um, it's, it's a process, right? I think. You know, there's always something potentially inbuilt in me. It was built off the values that I was given early on, um, you know, around the people around me. Um, you know, but I didn't lead any of these junior kind of all-black rugby teams, you know, under-19s, under-21s. I was just the, the bit-part team player, you know, like did my best for the team. And I was able to watch and learn and listen. Um, and I was pretty analytical in my mind, and I think that really helped me. It kind of meant that, I'd watch captains and coaches and say, oh, look, that thing was really good. 
I'd do that, you know, or no, I probably would do that maybe a bit differently. Um, and so, look, I just, you know, would pick up on things. I think I, uh, you know, coming from where I was, I never had the confidence in my own ability to, to speak up and early on in my career. Um, so very quiet, um, but coaches and, um, you know, some pretty key people in my life saw something in me that I didn't at the time. So I think that was the key, right, um, is that the leaders around me had confidence in, in my ability and then they had to find a way to help me build my own confidence. And they did that through giving me opportunities. And one was uh, at 22, I was named captain of Canterbury NPC team. And so that's just a classic one where I was like, thought thought I was well out of my depth then, had the experienced guys around me. Um, and I made so many mistakes and, and tried to be someone I wasn't early on and, and didn't quite know how I had to act, you know, being this captain. But, um, you know, had had an awesome opportunity to learn and, and that year is a bit out of the spotlight, I guess, in some ways. It's not very well um, coverage in the media, um, but I learned different things in that time. So, yeah, it gave me a great opportunity to learn and um, I guess from there it just progressed gave me a little taste of leadership and captaincy and and then just moved on from there. Yeah, and you learned how to toss the coin properly? Well, I did by the time I'd finished, yeah. Um, yeah, my, <laughs> first toss of the, my first toss of the coin uh, in a pre-season game against Wellington, I think it was pretty weak for his captain. And um, I think I had my, I'll say I had my thumb strapped, so I've got an excuse, but I tried to toss the coin and, and it kind of just rolled off and then just kept going and went under the, the toilet stall. <laughs> And so I just said, mate, you can choose what you want to do. He's cracking up. Um, I was interested to discover that Graham Henry uh, asked you to do the lineouts very early in your career with the ABs, and um, that you know it's a really important role, and it must have been a big boost to your leadership, your sense of leadership at the time, and your confidence. And in your book you described it as a chance to do something that was truly transformational. Tell us why why you said that and um, and how it led to um, this term, the teabag, winning uh, the World Cup in 2021. Um, yeah, so I, I think it was 2009, so I, I started in the 2008, so about a, a year into my career, I'd only played maybe 10 games at the time or if that, um, and our line had gone pretty poorly 2009. We lost to South Africa three times. Um, and so coaches had a big change of roles and things. Um, Ted came into coaching the Fords, and uh, I think it was, I don't know, it was the case of the last man standing, but he said to me, look, you can, uh, you're can you going to run the lineups. Um, they'd seen something in me, I guess, and um, I hadn't done it before, but it was a case of utilising, I guess, some strengths that I had, which was, a, a strong sense of strategy. I could analyse things and had a calm head on my shoulders, I guess, um, to be able to call lineouts in the game. And, um, so it required a bit of analysis of the opposition. Say on a Sunday night, it required, um, you know, teaching the guys on a Monday um, the lineouts and going through the calls um, with them, um, making sure we're getting it right. And then obviously on on the weekend, on the game day, you you're calling the lineouts and and where it's going. So it was a it was a great way for me to learn a bit of um, to test myself in that leadership space, um, which is, you know, as I continue to mention, it was, wasn't, you know, a real big part of the game. No one knew what was happening, but, um, you know, I could I could 
have influence, right? And um, and so it was huge, and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, came up with this calling system that I used throughout my whole career. Um, and calling systems and lineouts are kind of, you know, you, you work hard to try and crack the opposition's code, and you need a code that no one can crack. And, um, yeah, no one cracked our code over um, – the 10 years that I was, I was calling and um, so I'm pretty sure the All Blacks still use it now um, which is awesome um, yeah so it's share it? the point yeah it's only, it's only uh, Stefan and I listening yeah definitely yeah, no 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 I can't yeah it's like the Enigma code mate can't just yeah. don't want to let anyone let anyone in on the on the secret so um, look at, yeah I guess for me it was a case of we got to yeah, opportunity to, to work lineouts and bring that into the game. Um, and then so get to a 2011 World Cup final, right? And um, we know the teabag, a lineout move, um, and Tony Wilcox scores the try. Um, so most games, I'd come up with like a special play. I'd look at the opposition and go, oh, they defend like this. Um, we should do something a bit different, right? Bring it down and go through the middle or around the front or the back or whatever it looked like. Um, and it just so happened that France was presenting a picture throughout the 2011 World Cup that was very similar every time they got in that position um, in terms of putting two pods in the air and leaving a big gap in between them. Um, and they, we kicked it out quite early on and I called the line out hoping and praying um, that it would come off because it doesn't always come off, you know. Um, and France did exactly what we wanted them to do. Uh, Kiri threw the perfect ball. Um, and down to Tony Woodcock from our jumper, who went through this massive gap and, and ended up scoring, um, you know, the try that led us to winning the game. So um, that was a pretty awesome moment um, to see all that kind of analysis and stuff that you do to cut to come off and alongside some of the coaches that um, helped me come up with it. So it was, um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, pretty cool to, to kind of have that feeling. So, um I'm sitting here in the Christchurch office of NZ Funds Private Wealth, and Kieran, you live in Christchurch, so sorry, Stefan. I have to I have to raise a question about Razor. Um, Razor was amazingly successful in, in building on the Crusaders' culture and team spirit. In fact, you said in your book, "I loved what I was seeing." Razor had imbued the entire Crusaders organisation with some kind of Peter Pan magic, and you wrote that he had two simple organisational philosophies. Um, one was come to work, happy to be there, and the other one was whinge up. Now, I get the first one, fully understand that, but can you explain the second one, whinge up? What 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 was he meant by that? Yeah, I raised as a um, different, I guess, to a lot of coaches that have been, uh, I think, in some ways. Um, he's a deep thinker. He's you know, slightly different um, and, and, and how he operates, um, which is great. Um, but whinge up essentially means that, hey, let's not let anything fester. Um, so if you're, say, a rookie player, um, if you've got an opinion or something that's not going right for you, don't talk to the other rookies or, or guys there because all that's going to do is create little little cracks, you know, little festering things that aren't going to help us. So talk to a senior player who can, if they can help settle it, they will. If not, they can go to the captain. Um who could try settle it? If not, he can go to the management or the coach, right? So, basically, it's a, it's a whinge up attitude. So it means that hey, we don't let anything fester, um, and we do want opinions. We don't want um, guys to be sitting on these things that potentially they're, they're feeling. So 
the only way guys are going to voice their opinions if they feel like it's going to be heard, right? And they feel like um, they've got something valuable to say. Um, and so that comes through care. And that's where Ray's is pretty good. He's, um, you know, shows genuine care for his players. Um, you know, he's well connected to them, you know, so they feel like they can, you know, ask questions, challenge if they need to, um, you know, and that's what you need in, in, in great environments. Um, you need that real healthy conflict and, and kind of challenging moments. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what that's all about. And I, I think he'll do well in the All Blacks. He's, you know, he's been set up really well at Crusaders and hopefully everyone can get behind him. I think the challenge will be, I mean, obviously he could build everything up for Crusaders because he spent weeks and weeks, months and months with them on, all in one go. Not so easy for the All Blacks, I guess, because he won't have that amount of time with them. No, it'll be different, 100% different. You know, like the All Blacks, you come in and, and you're expected to win, right, um, straight away. Um, you've got perhaps a week or uh, two at most before you play your first test, and, that, and that's the time. So it's all about the rugby. It's all about getting them together. So, uh, you, you know, that'll be the hard thing. You've got six months to sit on his, uh, sit on his hands and wait and, and be wanting to get hold of players, and, and you've just got to be patient and, um, and realise the time that you've got is different. So, um, But, yeah, he'll, oh, he'll be great. I think he'll do a good job. Right. Karen, the, the last thing I thought we should talk about is retirement and life after rugby for you. The main focus for NZ Funds is helping uh, New Zealanders, Kiwis, build up um, their investment wealth so they can retire when they want to retire and enjoy a lifestyle through retirement that, that, that they deserve. We call this um, fully funded retirement. And earlier in the year, we took Nigel Latter around uh, the country in another roadshow, and his big message along the way was that it was – very important, super important to retire to something, not from something. To, yeah. And to me, retirement is where you stop doing so your main previous occupation and um, move into something else. It's uh, not necessarily that you stop. It's just that you change. For you, your retirement from rugby was dramatic. And um, you'd achieved all your goals. You'd won super rugby titles. You'd become a great All Black. Um, you'd captain the ABs. You'd won... Um, World Cup twice, um, but there was one more goal that um, would have been the pinnacle for you, the icing on the cake, and that was to lead the All Blacks as a captain to win the World, um, win the Rugby World Cup. And um, it wasn't meant to be with that one. And with a gut wrenching loss to England in to England and Japan in 2019, um, it stopped things for you, I guess. And so uh, the first question is really, um, how did you get over that, assuming? You, in fact, have gotten over that. And then um, how did I you haven't. sit and, uh, Yeah, well, many people haven't, Chris included. <laughs> on, Chris. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Therapy's he's still working through it. Um, and, um, and you know, how did you put in place and think about the next stages after rugby? Yeah, look, um, Pine Heels, um, 2019, after that semi-final, was probably the hardest time in my rugby career, 100%. Um, you put so much into a goal of achieving something and, and you don't. And as a leader, as a captain, you carry a lot more than everyone else, right? That's how it is. And that's great. That's what it should be. Um, so, no, it, it hurt 100%. Um, you know, um, but in that moment, you're still the leader, right? You've got to be presenting yourself in the right way. And 
Uh, we're lucky we had a third, fourth playoff game. So one more chance to pull on the jersey. And, and every time he did that, was pretty special. So um, that was a cool thing to do. Um, I guess retirement for me, I was after 2019, I, I was lucky to play in Japan for a couple of years. Um, although it was a bit challenging with COVID. Um, that, that happened and didn't have full seasons and didn't have the family there that um, I was hoping to have. Um, but it gave me some time to transition into retirement. Well, it's retirement from one thing, as you said, and going into something else. Um, and so I guess a few years before that, I was starting to think about what I could do. I was starting to really enjoy what um, leadership um, opportunities were coming my way. And I was enjoying exploring that space. Um, and so I wanted to do something in, in that world. And I didn't quite know what it looked like. I was, I'd studied a sports science degree and a sports coaching, uh, sports science, I got a sports science diploma, sports coaching degree. Um, and so, you know, I was, wasn't too sure if I'd be using them too much, um, but it gave me a good sense of under, understanding um, sports. Um, so in Japan, I did a applied management degree, which, which really touched on the lessons and learnings that I got from um, my career in, in leadership and culture, teamwork. Um, and so that's the basis of what I've um, been doing since. Um, so, yeah, really letting things kind of play out in a certain way. But, um, yeah, this whole new business of leadership coaching, uh, I guess consulting and giving out uh, keynotes to businesses, corporates, and um, to really help them and their, and their teams to understand. So I've got some great lessons to pass on and feel like I, I'm really enjoying that side of things. Um, and it's evolving. Um, it's tough because you go from a really structured environment, which was rugby, uh, into uh, me um, set up at home and working for myself and, and, yeah, all that autonomy back. So it's different. I enjoy that because it, it's, it's um, you know, it's really good in my own time and allows me to prioritise, say, the kids, for example, um, in terms of getting along to watch an athletics day or something like that. I can structure my time for that so that's really cool and um yeah enjoying the second it's the second career really for me it's not really retirement um you know still got a long time to go so yeah looking forward to you know improving myself and in, in this world that's fantastic i, I read an article uh kieran on a chap called gerard bertrand uh he, he was a french flanker in the early 90s who became an award-winning winemaker and he said when it comes to lessons rugby taught me, number one is never give up, number two is leadership, and number three is team spirit. Because alone you can go faster, but together you go further. And he said this is the secret of life. If you want to develop a very strong business, you need to develop leadership and team spirit, as well as respect and humility. So would you agree with this? What lessons have you taken from rugby that you're now you're now built into your leadership courses. Yeah, 100% I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, the mentality around rugby, which is definitely a team-first game, it's a game that requires so many different skills to be blended together to, to create a, um, you know, to, to create a performance or to finish, you know, a try or whatever it is. It requires so many different things, and, and that's relevant to, to business. Um so that's the key. And I think when you look at high performance as well, um, for me, there's three real key pillars in that. So that's your leadership. So making sure you're getting that right uh, in your group. Um, it is uh, your, um, you know, your culture within your group. 
um, so how you build connection, how you um, understand who you guys really are as a group, and then the last thing is how you work together as a team. Um, and so all that stuff comes out of my out of my rugby learnings, and it's so relevant into, um, I guess, life um, and, and business or anything. So, um, yeah, I, I personally think too, like I'm a better leader now than I was when I finished, right? At the All Blacks, I've learned a lot. I've read a lot more. I've um, got that same mindset that I had when I was playing. It's like I can get better every day. I can um, learn something new. Um and so you never sit still. So, yeah, still enjoying that learning part. And I think I always do that. I think that's, um, yeah, keeps things really fresh. Great. Well, we, we started off this chat with um, goal setting. We talked about the building blocks for achieving the goals. We talked about leadership. We then moved on to um, retirement and life after rugby. Um, it's time for us to retire from this now. And I'm actually going to finish with it with a quote from an, an anonymous Australian, would you believe? I was looking at a good yarns video on YouTube where uh, you reflect on a test match at Alex Park against South Africa in 2013, which I think you said is one of the best games that you've ever played in. In fact, Nigel Owens, the, the great ref, said it's the best match that he ever refereed. And in the bottom of the YouTube videos, the various comments people have added in, and there's one there from an anonymous Australian, which I thought sums it up very nicely. And he said, I'm a Wallabies through and through, but I really admire Kieran Reid. Seems very humble. I hope Kiwis don't mind if I put him up there with nobody. So that's nobody's perfect, as in John Eels. It's one of the best I've ever seen. I like the fact that even in the heat of the battle, Kieran had a smile on his face as if he realised in that moment these were memories that he would never forget. Hard man, but fair. Okay, to you, Karen. I salute you. So I will say ditto. In fact, I'm sure Stefan will say ditto to what uh, our Australian friend said. Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And on behalf of Stefan and NZ Funds, uh, I'd like to wish you well for your life after rugby and the success of your leadership courses. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Karen. It's been lots of fun having you on the cobble. All right. Um, thank you, everybody, and we will see you again soon. Great. All right, mate. Thanks, guys. Thank this has been The Monday Call, brought to you by NZ Funds. New Zealand Funds Management Limited is the issuer of the NZ Funds KiwiSaver Scheme, the NZ Funds Managed Superannuation Service, the NZ Funds Advice Portfolio Service, the NZ Funds Wealth Builder, and NZ Funds Income Generator. A product disclosure statement for each is available at nzfunds.co.nz. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future returns.